What is going on, everybody? I am Cole Morganti, and you are listening to the Came Unto Christ Ministries podcast. We talk about Jesus, Joseph Smith, and everything concerning Mormonism and Christianity. We don't think they're the same. But we're devoted to reaching Latter-day Saint population with the true gospel of grace. If you're a Latter-day Saint, I hope you listen to what we have to say. If you're not, I hope you learned something for today's episode. But cozy up as we talk about the most important things in life. And I leave you with this, John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Let's get into it. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to the Came Unto Christ podcast. I'm Stan, and I'm joined with my co-host, Will. How you doing, Will? Doing good. We're back. We're back in business. We are finally back. It has been too long, Will, since we have recorded a podcast, but it feels amazing to finally be behind the microphone again. Unfortunately, Cole is not with us. Cole is a little under the weather, so hopefully by the time this is uploaded, he's feeling all right. So I guess we don't need to ask you guys to pray for him. Because we're confident he will be okay by then. <laughs> no, you should still pray for him because God <laughs> hears your prayers and he will answer them even though it already, you know, he's already recovered probably. Because <laughs> God is nonlinear. He, he, you know, he works in, through all time and space. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> Necessary <laughs> rebuke. So Cole... Um, yeah, he's just been kind of recovering from some things going on in his personal life. <laughs> he's doing okay, though. Uh, we love Cole. I saw him recently. We were at an NC State game. Um, I saw that. Posted about it on, on our official Instagram, at Came Unto Christ. If you're not following it, go yes, follow it. go follow. Plug. We are... Um, let's get into the episode. So, the episode, we're doing a, a special christmas episode and this is really important maybe one of the most important things that we could talk about we're talking about christology and i know we've talked about this you know throughout some of our other episodes but we really wanted to focus on it and christology is a is a is a theological term for the study of who christ is and specifically, you know, what is that? What are the implications of of who Christ is with the incarnation? You know, his ontological being. Who is Christ? What is the What does the Bible tell us about who Christ is? His nature, or you know, specifically he, his hypostatic union as as um, the Son of God, and also he became flesh for us. Um, he took he took on a second nature. And we're going to be contrasting the biblical view of Christology with the Mormon view of who who Jesus is, what Mormons believe about Jesus. So really getting down to the the essential differences between Mormons and Christians as we we talk about this. And and yeah, so it's, it's a very important topic, but it's probably my favorite thing to talk about because if you if you don't get Jesus right, then you really don't you don't have a relationship with the Lord. It's the most important thing that 
we can ever do is to know who Jesus is. And it's an it's unfortunate that that's one of the things that the I guess the modern Mormon church and evangelical church has really abandoned why these things are so necessary, why Christology is so important. We like to speak on, I guess, use very shallow terms and just say we both believe in Jesus simply because we both say Jesus. And while they believe in Jesus, they just have a few little nuanced things that they believe that we don't. But the reality is, is that if you worship someone or or just believe in someone that you call Jesus that is contrary to the Jesus of the Bible, what that is, is an idol and an abomination that you have accredited the name Jesus. And it, it means it means nothing. It's not just a couple little nuanced things, but it is a totally different Christ altogether. And as one in scripture says, another Christ is a Christ that cannot save. It is no Christ at all. Another gospel that cannot save. There's no gospel at all. So yeah, this is an extremely important topic that unfortunately a lot of people don't think it's too important and don't want to be, I guess, controversial, I guess. But hopefully if you do think that way and you're listening to this, that after this you will see the importance of getting who Christ is and his nature correct. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, let's start off with um, just talking a little bit about the Mormon view of Jesus. So, what what do Mormons believe about Jesus? Well, before we start, before we start talking, I want to give a little disclaimer that a lot of the things that we're going to be talk about, going to be talking about regarding the virgin birth. A lot of these things, if you talk to missionaries or just your everyday Mormon might not believe these things. They might have heard about them and not believe them, or they might have no idea that some of the things we're talking about are even is even something that the early Mormon church taught and that people like Brigham Young and Orson Pratt and Joseph Smith, these things that they taught about the virgin birth and other topics. So we've We've said this before in other podcasts, but don't assume that your Mormon friends believe this. But it is important to bring up to them that these are things that have been taught by their church and that therefore it's something that they're going to need to wrestle with if they want to be honest about their truth seeking. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely a good point to bring up, Will. I think the interesting thing about talking about Mormon theology is I like to, I've heard, well, I heard the metaphor once, um, and I don't remember where I heard it, but Mormon theology is like trying to nail jello to a wall. (laughs) (laughs) That's very accurate. Where, Where you think that you like are pinning it down, but then it's so wiggly and it doesn't want to stay. And you get the nail in the wall, but the jello just falls off. Yeah. Like it's so fluid and you can't hold them accountable to anything hardly because, you know, you can say this is what your prophets said, but they'll say, well, the, the church doesn't teach that anymore or it's not official doctrine 
or um, you even, you know, you you'd go to the Book of Mormon and say, this is what the Book of Mormon says. You know, if you just read what the Book of Mormon teaches about, you know, who God is, it actually presents a very different God than the Mormon church teaches because it talks about um, God as like one being kind of like in a modalistic sense, whereas the, the current church denies um, that God is one being. Um, but anyway, this another tangent, <laughs> but all that to say, it's still really important to talk about these beliefs, even if modern Mormons reject it. And we will get into that, but it's, I mean, it's pretty foundational to historic Mormon theology, the, the belief in what Mormons say about the virgin birth and, um, and things like that. And like Jesus being, uh, the literal offspring of God. Um, so, you know, as, as you may be familiar, if you're familiar at all with Mormon theology, they believe that everyone, uh, will you and I, all of us, everyone that's ever been born is a literal child of God. Now we will, um, go through some texts uh, in scripture later that flat out deny that. Um, just you just read through the first chapter of John and you know that that's not true. Yep. Uh, we're not all um, we're not all ch- children of God. You have to be born again to have the right to, to be called a child of God. Um, you know Ephesians 2 outright says by nature we are children of wrath. Yeah. Exactly. Children of the devil. So, that's very. That it's not even in the same ballpark of saying that everybody is literally a child of God. Exactly. It's so ontologically. You have for in the Mormon Jesus, they they believe that Jesus had a beginning. He was born from his parents because Jesus had actually like parents in the pre-existence heavenly father and heavenly mother um, or however many heavenly mothers there are because i'm i'm sure the the early uh, mormons believed that heavenly father was a polygamist but so so jesus was born in the pre-existence and he was the firstborn right and then after that lucifer was born and then after that you know the rest of us were born so Jesus ontologically isn't any different from us, like speaking, like in terms of, of being, whereas in Christian theology, we say that Jesus is by nature, the son of God. We are not by nature, the, no. like the son of God. Um, so so yeah, so the first point is to say Jesus is literally the Son of God in Mormon theology. Um, and you have a quote to, to read for us, Will. Do you want to read that one? I do. This is a quote from uh, Bruce McConkie in Mormon Doctrine on page 192. So we like to resource the things that we talk about. One, for anybody who is LDS listening to this, you know that we're not just spouting off things that you would call anti-Mormon literature. And two, just, I mean, it, it's always good to do to know that we're not just here to slander the Latter-day Saints. So, 
with that being said, McConkie said, by obedience and devotion, he attained to the pinnacle of intelligence, which ranked him as a god, even in the pre-existent state. Contrast to that, Orthodox Christians, we believe that Jesus is God, eternally begotten, the second person of the Trinity, who was God and became man. Very two different things right off the bat there. Exactly. So so what you have here is Mormon theology flips the incarnation on its head. Yep. So in Christian theology, we believe that God became man. So God uh, became flesh. He became man so that through Christ's accomplishments um, by fulfilling the law, because he was he perfectly fulfilled the law. He was born under the law, as it says in Galatians. And he walked in perfect obedience, perfect submission to the Father, even to the point of death on a cross. He laid his own life down on the cross. And he accomplished an, an atonement to reconcile his people to the Father through his blood. Right. And so what you have is God becoming man so that we can be reconciled to God. That's biblical theology. And Mormon theology, they believe in the theology of the preexistence, which means that we all lived in a spiritual preexistence with the with Heavenly Father, Heavenly Mother, and all of them. And we became flesh so that we can become gods. Yep. So they've reversed it. It's not God becoming flesh for us to become reconciled to God. It's us becoming flesh so that we can become gods ourselves. And in in with this quote, going back to it, you know, Jesus wasn't the eternal Son of God, eternally begotten, um, always God. This is Jesus who... And I think there are some nuanced views to this, but just going off of this quote, in the, even in the if he even if he became or attained the status of God in the preexistence, there was still a point where he was not a god. You know that. Even so, even you, I guess you can make the argument that Jesus was a god who became man but not anywhere even close to what an Orthodox Christianity would say about the incarnation of Jesus being truly God and truly man. Yeah, exactly. So it, you know, it depends on the Mormon you're speaking to. Yep. Like some totally. Mormons will say that, you know, Jesus was always God. Well, you know, what does that mean exactly? Because the, if you press them, they'll, they'll say, oh yeah, he's a creative being. Um, I mean, they can't even say and, that Heavenly Father's always been God. So how could Jesus? Exactly. And so it really comes down to definitions, yep. right? Like we say that Jesus has always been, always will be. He is the first and the last. He's He's uncreated. By definition, God is uncreated. He is the creator. He created everything. 
And so if you have something that you believe is God, but it's a created being, by definition, that means that something created that thing. And so there's something above that, right? It didn't have a, like, there's something that, like, like, philosophically, you know, and I don't always like to appeal to philosophy. I like to appeal to scripture. Um, but, you know, we can use philosophy in our apologetic and, and say, like, philosophically, it doesn't make any sense to say that you're to, to worship a God, um, to worship, you know, something that you, you say is God. Yet it had a beginning. It's not a creator. Then it's they say that Jesus created um, the heavens and the earth, but really, what that means in Mormon language is he reorganized pre-existing matter. Yep. Um, so there you have it. You know, it's it's like we're talking about fundamentally different things here. The next quote we have for you guys is from Orson Pratt. Um, so the next quote we have for you guys is a quote from Orson Pratt. He wrote a book called The Seer. He was an early figure of the church. Uh, was he a prophet? Do you know? He was one of the apostles. Okay. One of the apostles. That's right. Uh, of the early church. He was around, uh, during the, the beginning of it. And he said, the fleshly body the fleshly body of Jesus required a mother as well as a father. Therefore, the father and mother of Jesus, according to the flesh, must have been associated together in the capacity of husband and wife. Hence, the Virgin Mary must have been, for the time being, the lawful wife of God the Father. We use the term lawful wife because it would be blasphemous in the highest degree to say that he overshadowed her or beget the Savior unlawfully. It's interesting out of all of that, that's the blasphemy in the highest degree that he did it without being lawfully married to her. Not the fact that God had essentially had sex with Mary, God's spirit child. No, that's yeah. not the most blasphemous thing. And now, <laughs> when you when you think about this also is... Not only are they saying that God had to have physical intercourse with Mary to produce Jesus, um, which is of course denying the the virgin birth. Yep. Um, but they're they're saying that you know with the theology that all children are children of God, all all all, all human beings. Um, that's also a, a theology of incest that jesus was produced from from an incestuous uh begetting yep. uh, of heavenly father and heavenly mother or sorry heavenly father and, and mary um and notice uh in the quote he even says virgin mary but what what but he's not a she can't be a virgin if she is having physical relations with heavenly father. Um, and you may be wondering like, how did, how do Mormons get around that? Well, again, they redefine what it means to be a virgin. So they will say, well, she was a virgin before, before 
they had physical relations to produce Jesus, which, you know, doesn't, you can't say that like that, that doesn't, <laughs> it's just so frustrating. <laughs> and it, or, or oh, it's, man. you know, well, Mary didn't have sex, have sexual relations with a mortal man. It was with yeah. the immortal man, God. Yeah. So you want to read that second quote from Brigham Young? Sure. And so if you guys think that's just a one-off quote of some, you know, we dug to find. Well, we have one from old, old Brigham Young. <laughs> one of the founders of the church. I mean, he, I mean, let's just get into it. <laughs> The birth of the Savior was as natural as are the births of our children. It was the result of natural action. He partook of flesh and blood, was begotten of his father, as we are of our fathers. I mean, that says it right there. In other words, Heavenly Father had sexual relations with Mary. It's such a... a I mean, this is this is man-made religion right here. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's really unbelievable to think about this stuff, and this is one of the reasons I think the modern Mormon Church has kind of pushed it aside and just like not talked about it. Like, not they've never denied it, but they've they've just said, you know, we're not focusing on that. We don't know. It could be doctrine, but it's not official doctrine, and the church doesn't take an official stance on it. Um, there's a really fascinating article, if you guys want to do a little bit of extra research, uh, from Mormonism Research Ministries. Uh, there's an article put out by Bill McKeever and Aaron Shafawalaf on redefining the virgin birth, Mormonism on the natural conception of Jesus. And I'm just going to read a, a, par a couple of paragraphs. Um, they write, The problem with Mormonism saying that God had sex with Mary is that it comes from a worldview that says divinity isn't so different from humanity. The whole point of the virgin conception is that it is an event where God added an, entire, an entirely different nature to himself, humanity. God became a man. The ironic pagan heresy of Mormonism's suggestion that God had sex with Mary is that it, it collapses the God-man divide and reverses the larger narrative. Man became a God. Right? And so we have this, this additional uh, quote from, from Bruce R. McConkie that they quote in the article. He says, Christ was begotten by an immortal father in the same way that mortal men are begotten by mortal fathers. That was in Mormon Doctrine, 1966. So you, so you may think, well, the Mormon prophets, you know, in the 1800s, they taught about that. But the modern Mormon church never focuses on that. Well, maybe the Mormon church today doesn't talk about it, but... In the, in the 20th century, it was still considered doctrine yep. by many. Um, I mean, in Mormon doctrine, it talks about it, <laughs> uh, the, which is, you know, today, um, today the, the, the work produced by Bruce R. McConkie, Mormon doctrine, uh, 
is it's kind of uh, not looked <laughs> in favorably by many Mormons today for for a variety of reasons, mostly because, um, well, it's uh, it's a little bit more harsh in tone and it has some controversial things in it uh, about uh, well race relations and and um, and things like that. So that uh, that seemed dated. Um, I mean, from a church that is constantly subjecting itself to the culture and changing certain stances due to cultural pressure, I mean, this is this is quite embarrassing to say that, you know, this is a belief of their church. Yeah, exactly. And so it's it's interesting. Um, more, so Mormons today, they, they sometimes take uh, different stances on it. Um, in the article, they talk about, you know, what do, what do Mormons today, you know, how do they deal with this problem? And um, some, some actually, um, you know, kind of reject it and say, well, it's, it's not really doctrine. Um, it's no, not official doctrine. Um, so there's, there's a quote from Robert Millett who was a BYU professor, he said this in his book, Another Jesus, the, the Christ of the Latter-day Saints, on page 74. While Latter-day Saints clearly believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Father, there is no authoritative doctrinal statement within Mormonism that explains how the conception of Jesus was accomplished. Isn't that just... I mean, that reminds me of when I'm talking to my Catholic friends about weird things that Pope Francis has said. And they said, well, he didn't say it while sitting on the chair, Peter, like he didn't say these things as official doctrine. This is just his opinion. And it's not like, it's not an authoritative thing. He said, this is, I mean, that's the same thing being said here. And it's, it's such a slimy cop out to be able to say, well, it's not official doctrine. Sure, someone who was a supposed mouthpiece of God said this, but we're not putting the stamp of it being official on it. So we don't really have to deal with that. Yeah, it's so confusing. Like, I think I think it's the most cop-out answer, like you said, Will, like to say, oh, it's not official doctrine or the church doesn't emphasize that or the church doesn't take a position on it. But you have prophets that have taught that and you have, you know, it, it's written down in, in, your, in your literature produced by the church. Um, there was an LDS official church manual that uh, was published in 1972. Um, it was a family home evening manual in which uh, they quoted Joseph F. Smith, who was a prophet under the heading, A Modern Prophet's Answer. And they include this illustration, which shows a, a, a diagram of, of this, uh, these two figures. So they, they show daddy plus mommy. And it's, it's like a tree diagram. And it shows, okay, daddy plus mommy produces uh, you. So, you know, obviously, um, <laughs> just a, a pretty basic <laughs> diagram showing, yeah, like you came from daddy and mommy, right? Well, then underneath that, it shows uh, a similar like diagram, except instead of daddy and mommy, it says 
our Heavenly Father and Mary produces Jesus. Right? So they can say, well, the church doesn't take an official stance on how Jesus was conceived, but they they're teaching, you know, they're teaching this that, oh, it was still it was still Heavenly Father with Mary that produced Jesus. It's so interesting too, because I would think from a scriptural standpoint, obviously this is still horribly wrong. But if you would want to say that that someone had sexual relations with Mary, if we're going to try to be as consistent with Scripture as possible, I would think that they would go with the Holy Spirit, considering that Scripture says that, I mean, that it was the Spirit who came into Mary, and, 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 and then Mary was impregnated. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting that it's no, it's Heavenly Father who had sexual relations with Mary. Maybe that has to do with their doctrines of what the Holy Spirit is. But I just find that interesting. Yeah. Here's another couple of quotes that are interesting. You know, again, we reiterate that the church takes no official stance on this doctrine. Yet listen to these quotes. This is from Ezra Taft Benson. He says, I am bold to say to you, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints proclaims that Jesus Christ is the Son of God in the most literal sense. The body in which he performed his mission in the flesh was seared by the same holy being we worship as God, our eternal Father. Jesus was not the son of Joseph, nor was he begotten by the Holy Ghost. And that's in the teachings of Ezra Taft Benson on page seven. And that was also quoted in the Mormon Ensign magazine as recently as December, 2001. (laughs) 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 So you see that, you know, that the Mormon church can say that this was, you know, they take no official stance on the, how Jesus was conceived yet. They say that he was seared by heavenly father. Joseph Fielding Smith, he says in 1954, Christ was not begotten of Holy Ghost. Christ was begotten of God. He was not born without the aid of man. And that man was God. Right. And and there's so many other quotes we could go through, but those are just, you know, a few examples of statements made by the church leaders that, you know, clearly demonstrate this theology that Jesus was actually born by, you know, the natural means of Heavenly Father, who, again, they believe is a physical being of of flesh and bone, coming down to have physical sexual relations with what they say is the Virgin Mary to conceive Jesus. And there could be all sorts of reasons why maybe more modern Mormons would try to, I guess, save face by saying it's not official doctrine or deny these things. I mean, there'd be multiple reasons. It's embarrassing to them. They, Or maybe they recognize that if this is true, like true teaching of the church and that this is their stance, maybe they can't stomach that. I mean, there could be all sorts of different reasons. 
for why they would want to the want this to be kind of stuffed down but the reality is is that it's there and you have to deal with it and you have to deal with its direct contradiction with the holy scriptures if you're going to be honest exactly so so will we should um now that we've talked a little bit about you know mormon belief in the incarnation Let's talk about what scripture teaches about Jesus's incarnation. So I think a perfect place to start is in Isaiah. Um, we actually have prophecies about the coming of Christ, the coming of our Savior. And a key passage about the virgin birth we can find in Isaiah seven fourteen, which reads, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, right? And we, we have that same verse quoted again in the New Testament in, in a passage in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 1, we read um, the following, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read the whole passage because I think it's, it's a really important thing to, to understand. So in, in Matthew, starting in verse 18, the first chapter, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Right, and I'll, I'll stop right there. Because that's a really important thing to emphasize from the Holy Spirit. The scriptures teach that Jesus was conceived from the Holy Spirit. Not Heavenly Father. We just read quotes earlier that flat out deny that Jesus was con supernaturally conceived from the Holy Spirit. But, but the scripture teaches the opposite. Um, so I'll, I'll continue. Uh, verse 19. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to shame her, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. From the Holy Spirit. Again, we have it. <laughs> it could not be more obvious <laughs> from the Holy Spirit. Okay, 21. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And, and again, it quotes the same verses that, that I spoke earlier from Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is a perfect example of why, and I say this a lot when I'm talking to like, I was leading a study on a crash course of Mormonism, and I made it clear that 
look, you don't need to know everything about Mormonism and their doctrine and beliefs to witness to them. Ask them a lot of questions. What you need to do is to know Scripture. And when you know Scripture well enough, you can combat these false doctrines. Whatever they have to say about this, if you know Matthew 1, then you don't need to know all these little nuanced things, but you can go to that and just, the red flags can go off in your head right away if you're armed with the Word of God, even if you don't know everything that Mormons believe. You can spot, you know, the old saying, the best way to spot a counterfeit dollar bill is to be so familiar with the original. Same thing, the best way to spot heresy and false teachings is to be so to familiar with what scripture says so you don't get taken away by these empty philosophies and deceitful doctrines absolutely will we need to arm ourselves with the word of god so that we can defend ourselves against these heresies and know what the truth is because if if you if your understanding of scripture is not sufficient, then you are opening yourself up to be deceived by any heresy that comes along. You know, you, you have no defense without the word of God, without, without studying the word of God, without knowing what the word teaches, you're opening yourself up to being taken it completely advantage of by any number of false teachings. Yep, exactly. So coming back to Christian theology, um, let's focus on the incarnation, right? And we've already been talking a little bit about this, you know, about the virgin birth, about God becoming flesh. But I want to I emphasize how radically important this is. This is the event that literally split time and like literally separated our calendar from BC to AD, you know, we have this event that is the most important event to happen in human history, with, of course, the exception of the, the atonement. <laughs> I mean, they're equally important. Without, you can't have, you can't have the crucifixion without the incarnation. It's inseparable. I want to just emphasize the fact that God became flesh and dwelt among us. Not a God, the God. The God, right? So, so we have a definition of the incarnation, which I actually pulled from Bible.org. And they, they say on there, the doctrine of the incarnation means that the second person of the Trinity took on human flesh. Jesus Christ is both undiminished deity united with perfect humanity forever and without confusion of attributes. One person, two natures. Right? So so what happened at the at the the event of the incarnation when Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary? Now it's really important that we the 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 doctrine of 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 Jesus being born of a virgin that's actually really important because the conception of Jesus was was of the holy spirit 
like so if if jesus was conceived by natural means just like any other man uh, any other human being has ever been conceived he would still be he, well first of all he, he couldn't be god um and second of all he wouldn't be able to come without being under the curse mm-hmm. he would he would be born into original sin but the but jesus was supernaturally conceived without original sin and of course he's he is god himself so he's 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 adding to himself a second nature and it's really important to understand jesus he was never not in existence uh the son of god the the, the, the nature of Jesus, which is the eternal divine nature, is always, has always been, has like forever and ever and ever, always in Christian theology. And that's really, really important because if you don't get this right, then the, then the Jenga tower falls. And that's what you have in Mormonism. They, they've, they've, taken the incarnation and they've twisted it with lies and heresy about Jesus not really being born of a virgin, uh, Jesus coming into existence in, in the pre-existence. Um, these are all, you know, lies that cause the whole gospel to crumble like a, like a Jenga tower that's being, you know, I don't know. I'm just using a weird metaphor. But <laughs> <laughs> we'll run with it. But yeah, so with that said, I want to take us to the first verses in John chapter 1. All right, so let's take a look at John 1. And I think John 1 is a knockout punch to a lot, to pretty much every Christian cult out there. You know, if you're a Jehovah's Witness, then you have a little different of a translation that says... The word was a God, not the word was God, which, I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole nother thing. Well, even Joseph Smith tried to change it in his translation. Did he? I didn't know that. Yeah. Which is, you know, fun fact. Mormons don't hold to the Joseph Smith translation as official doctrine, but they still reference it in their Bibles. So it's like in their footnotes. Joseph Smith, their prophet, his translation, not official doctrine. All right. <laughs> but anyway, let's 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 read this really important passage of scripture. Let's do it. All right, so it's John 1 starting at verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Also note in Revelation 19, Jesus is attributed the name the word of God. <laughs> just a, just a quick side note. Just a little side note there just to show that this is about Jesus. Verse 2 says, he was in the beginning with God. All things, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Mormons can't say that. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. 
He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He, be, he gave them the right to become children of God. They were not always children of God since from the pre-existence. These are the people who accepted Christ. He gave the right to become children of God. It's important to note that. All right, so verse 13. <laughs> who, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Man, there's so many theological truths to unpack there, right? John 1 is crazy. I mean, it's just, a, like you said, it's a punch like to all these cults that try to uh, manipulate biblical Christology. But this is this is such a key passage for understanding the incarnation, understanding who Jesus is. Um, you know, right there, we have in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? So that's just a, that's a huge theological statement. When you understand what it's talking about, um, the word, meaning uh, the Greek word logos. Um, and when we think of, of that, um, I like to think of Genesis when it says that God spoke into existence, right? That the word of God, it's literally God speaking. Um, that's that's like kind of what I think about is, is Jesus is the word. Jesus is God. Jesus is, is God speaking. And he's, he was always with God. So he was always with the father, always. Um, so he didn't come into existence after the father. He wasn't conceived in a, in a preexistence from heavenly father and heavenly mother. No, he was always always with the father and he himself though he is not the father he is god and and it's important to understand uh when we when we talk about trinitarian theology that doesn't mean that jesus is a different god than the father ontologically it is one being god is god is one um and we, we read this over and over throughout throughout the Bible, um, that God is one. Yet we have within 
within the Godhead, three persons. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And, and this is such a key passage for understanding the Trinity, is, is Jesus um, was with God and he, he was God. And Jesus became flesh. Jesus took on flesh and added to himself a, a new nature, a human nature, right? That is like, we, we've talked about this, I've you know, repeated this throughout this episode, but to really understand what that means, like that is mind boggling. Yep. And I, I want to talk about a couple pitfalls that happen when people are wrestling with that reality of the two natures of Christ, because there are two ways that people go about it, and they don't even know of these things being historical heresies, but they are, and a lot of people believe these things. When we're talking about Jesus being the God-man, we can distinguish between his divine and human nature we cannot separate those two things into two separate persons in Christ. This is called the heresy of Nestorianism, where there are two persons in Christ, which would be the divine and the human person. No, Christ is one person with these two natures that have distinguishing characteristics, but they cannot be separated. And then there's the other side of it. Um, called uh, Eutychianism, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, where it says that Jesus has one nature and it's a mixture of the divine and his human attributes. So either you have a deity with human attributes or you have a human with um, divine attributes and both of those are those are very wrong views of who the god man is and those are i think without even knowing it people adopt these heretical views because either they haven't done a deep enough study of the nature of Christ and and who he is as the god man or or whatever it is but those are two very important things to watch out for to not fall into. Nestorianism and Eutychianism. So you can look up both of those things and, and research them more if you want to. But it's very important when we deal with theology, especially something as important as this, to be very careful with our definitions. That is why these historical creeds and confessions are, are so specific and they use the language they use very carefully to explain the views that they're presenting if because they understood if you use sloppy language and, and aren't very, I guess, your, your definitions aren't very clear, then they can be misunderstood very easily easily you know it, it can seem kind of maybe not silly but obnoxious how meticulous 
that some creeds are and, and how we define the God man, but it's so important that we do that so we can have a right understanding of who the God we worship is. And with greater knowledge of who God is comes comes a higher level of worship of him. You know, the saying orthodoxy precedes orthopraxy. Our knowledge of who God is precedes how we worship our God. And when we know the God that we worship in a better and higher way, we can worship him in a more honorable and truth-filled manner that is so much more meaningful. Amen. That's uh, that's a lot of good stuff, Will. <laughs> it was a little bit of a rant, but I think it was yeah. needed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you're so right that, you know, when we're, when we're talking about Christology, every word that we use has to be intentional and it has to be precise. Yep. Um, because if if it's not intentional, then you can easily accidentally say something heretical, <laughs> yep. um, which we do not want to do. Um, so we, we pray that we have not said anything heretical <laughs> thus far. <laughs> Um, if you're Mormon, then I everything want... we've said is heretical. <laughs> so John Murray, Scottish theologian and one of the early founders of Westminster Theological Seminary, and he writes, the doctrine of the incarnation is vitiated if it is conceived of as the beginning to be of the person of Christ. The incarnation means that he who never began to be in his specific identity as son of God began to be what he eternally was not. And that's quoted in John Frame, Systematic Theology, page 883. And that is a very fancy way of saying the son of God was always God. Um, he was eternal and he never had a beginning, but Jesus, as his human nature, has a beginning, yep. and that is the incarnation. So the Son of God never has a beginning, but Jesus, the man in flesh, and it's really important to, to not forget that Jesus was a man. He became flesh. His identity as a human being is equally as important as his identity as the Son of God. The Son of God, his eternal divine nature, never had a beginning. But at a point in time, God became flesh, was born under the law, born of a woman in, in our world, in space and time. And he humbled himself. Like the, the humility that it takes for God himself to become flesh. Also, Paul talks about this in Philippians that though Christ was in the form of God, it's like he is God. He humbled himself and took on the form of a servant, taking on flesh. So, you know, that is like the theology behind that is just unfathomable to like truly wrap our minds around like what, what Christ did for us in, in the incarnation. It, and it's seriously, if you're listening to this right now, just meditate on that reality that the second person of the Trinity 
took the form of a helpless baby who who yes he was he was a real baby baby who who cried and i i'd imagine was breastfed i don't know how he'd be fed any other way he was truly man you know jesus wasn't this baby with all knowledge walking around preaching as as a six-month-year-old infant because he's god no this was jesus was truly man and took on the form of a baby and, and suffered and bled and died on the cross the god man did this beaten and tortured by human beings that he created this reality it, we would all do well to meditate on on this truth because this is the the most incredible thing i mean that 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 could ever happen that god would that that god would do this so that a creation who is hated and despised him and rejected him and blasphemed him could be made right with him yeah well like it's just remarkable it's just remarkable the fact that not only did jesus do this for us but he revealed it to us in his word like what a treasure that is to know to know god to know god through the son that the son became flesh and we could never understand what the crucifixion means without understanding what the incarnation means yep right and so john murray he has another good quote <laughs> that we pulled from his work redemption accomplished and applied on page 14 great book he says the blood the which will is currently reading <laughs> as, uh, as i um as i understand <laughs> You might you might need a dictionary to go through that book next to it. You you definitely will unless you're familiar with just read it and you'll know what I'm saying. Yeah. So he says the blood of Jesus is blood that has the requisite efficacy and virtue only by reason of the fact that he who is the son the effluence of the father's glory and the express image of his substance became himself also partaker of flesh and blood and thus was able by one sacrifice to perfect all those who are sanctified essentially i mean that's just that's just a more a, another beautiful way and i guess a more articulated and fancy way of saying what we have been saying and just just on the same topic keep on going just what just the gospel that or the amazing work that christ has done that unfortunately our mormon friends cannot they they cannot say this and it's a shame that's why when when we think about christmas we think about all these truths that we're ta we're talking about the mormon doesn't think about any of this stuff they don't think about Jesus actually being the eternal God who 
who took on flesh. Right. They have they they if we say that they may think that they understand it because, again, they're filtering all these all this language through Mormon terminology, Mormon definitions. Um, but they don't actually know God as the eternal. Everlasting creator of all things. You know, as we read in John, there is nothing that was made that wasn't made from Jesus. All things were made by him, right? And that's one of my favorite passages, especially talking about the incarnation, talking about Christology. We can see Christology all throughout scripture. There's another really great passage on understanding biblical Christology that we find in Colossians 1. And I'll start reading in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, right? So right there, we understand that God, as in Heavenly Father, um, you know, it's talking about the Father, the invisible God. He is, and even, you know, the Son of God before the Incarnation, he he was invisible like he didn't have a physical being um he he wasn't flesh he wasn't uh he wasn't uh ontologically f- like a physical being like mormons believe mm-hmm. but he is the image of the invisible god so when you see christ you actually you're seeing the father christ said that if you've seen me you've seen the father exactly and and there's another uh, part of that verse that I want to highlight, the firstborn of all creation. Now, a lot of cults will twist the, the actual true meaning of this verse. And Mormons uh, do the same where they say, oh, yeah, like Jesus, he, he was actually born. He's, he's the firstborn. That's why they, they believe that Jesus was born in the preexistence, the firstborn of Heavenly Mother and Heavenly Father, right? Well, that's not it at all what this verse is teaching. The Greek word used for the word firstborn actually means preeminence. So we can say uh, Christ is the preeminent one over all creation, right? And we can even understand this, you know, as, as we continue reading, that all things were created by Christ, right? In verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, right? So nothing that has ever began to exist was outside of the sovereign creation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing. That includes Satan. Yep. That includes uh, demonic beings. Um, all things, uh, invisible and visible, were created by our Lord. They were created by Yahweh. And then we, we continue in verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, 
He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Man, those verses, they they really nail it home, right? Yep. And I want to, one little just interesting thing, when you're evangelizing to your Mormon friends and you bring up this, and like you were talking about in the beginning of um, the passage about Jesus being um, the firstborn of all creation, and how that doesn't mean that Jesus is a created being, an interesting thing to note is that in especially the first century Jew understanding, you know, the firstborn was the inheritor of his father's wealth. And a nice, uh, I guess, uh, and a good passage to bring them to that I've done a couple of times is to Exodus 4. Chapter 22, it says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And ask them, If Jesus is his literal firstborn son, and we're taking this literally, how is the nation of Israel God's firstborn son? Could it be that it doesn't mean literally firstborn son? And they they have to almost have to agree with you because they're not going to say the nation of Israel is a literal force firstborn son of God in the preexistence like they would say Christ is. And I just think that's a really good passage to bring them to that shows, look, firstborn doesn't mean the same thing all throughout scripture. And it doesn't mean it's this this weird definition that you have given it. And if it does, then you have to apply that here. And how are you going to apply that to Exodus 4? So that's just an interesting passage to bring to them, to bring to the forefront of their mind when talking about this subject. Yeah, that's a, that's an excellent point, Will. Because as you as you read this, this, this is a key passage on biblical Christology. And of course, we find that in the very first verse, Mormons take that language of firstborn and they they read it as literally as possible and say oh it means that christ actually had a beginning right but you know logically that doesn't make sense with the rest of the passage because it's talking about christ the creator of all things right so if 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 he had a beginning he couldn't be the creator of all things because that means he's he's a creature right so it doesn't make sense. If you have a beginning, then you're not a creator of all things. By definition. <laughs> By definition. And this is why it's so important to understand. Because if you don't understand who Christ is, who Christ truly is, as he's revealed himself in scripture, then you don't have a relationship with Jesus. We read it in John chapter 8, in verse 23 through 25. He said to them, You are from below, and I am from above. 
you are of this world, I am not of this world. Right. So even then from from in that first uh, verse in 23, we understand that we are of this world. Right. There's there's a separation from who Christ is and who we are. Christ is divine in his divine nature. And if we were all together in the preexistence, he would not be able to say that. Exactly. We would be of the same place he was. So Jesus, he's he's making an authoritative statement about his very nature as the son of God. He's saying, you are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. So in that conversation, he was talking with the Pharisees, right? And the Pharisees didn't believe who he was. They, they thought he was blaspheming. But when Jesus says, I am he, he's actually making a direct association with Yahweh. He's saying that he is Yahweh. And Yahweh is God. Yahweh is the God of the Bible. Right? So Jesus is declaring his divine authority as not just a literal offspring of God. No, he is God. And unless you know who Christ is, unless you know that Christ is Yahweh, then you cannot have a right relationship with God. You must confess who Jesus is and know it. It's so foundationally important. You know, as we read in Romans chapter 10, that if, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, as in Jesus is Yahweh, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, right? But, but you can't just say, oh, I believe in Jesus, but not know who Jesus is. Yep. Because that's what Mormons will say. They, they say, well, I believe in Jesus. But their definition of who Jesus is, is not what the Bible teaches. It's not a biblical Christology of who Jesus truly is, his divine identity as the son of God who became flesh, added humanity to his nature, fulfilled the Old Testament law perfectly in perfect obedience, perfect submission to the father and was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that he could redeem his people and bring them into relationship with God. Amen. Amen. That's the gospel. Amen. <laughs> if this is your first time listening to us, you know that Stan wonderfully preaches the gospel just about every episode, well, and it's probably the best thing just listening in and hearing the gospel being preached, because you can never hear the gospel being preached enough, and when you hear it, it's just, it never ceases to bring me joy to hear the gospel being proclaimed. I love Amen. it. Amen. Well, brother, you, you preach the gospel too. <laughs> I, I, love, I love hearing you preach the gospel. So we've been going for... Almost an hour and a half. It'll probably be, you know, when it's 
all refined and everything, maybe a little shorter. But along with the gospel being preached, I want to end it off with what is called the Chalcedonian Creed, which is a creed professing who Christ is and his nature. And like most, if not all creeds, was was written to combat heresy that they were dealing with in that time. And I would suggest after hearing me read it, go and read it yourself or read or quickly pause this and look it up and read along with me so you can really see what this is saying. So, the Chalcedonian Creed is this. We then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess, one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man, of a reasonable soul and body, consubstantial with the Father according to the Godhead. Consubstantial means of the same essence and consubstantial with us according to the manhood in all things like unto us, without sin, begotten before all ages of the Father according to the Godhead. And in these latter days, for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the Mother of God, according to the manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures, unconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one substance, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same Son, and only begotten, God the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning him, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself has taught us, and the creed of the Holy Fathers has handed down to us. Hmm. By the way, just one quick thing to note. Mormons don't believe in our creeds. <laughs> Mormons don't believe in our creeds. And two, Mary being the mother of God does not mean that Mary created God. It's simply saying Mary is the mother of Jesus. Jesus is God. That's it. So if that tripped you up, that's all that means, that Mary is the mother of God. And some people disagree with that terminology. I don't see a problem with it, but there it is. That's in, in an essence, this creed professes the very nature of who Christ is. And if you contrast that with everything we've been talking about with Mormon and Mormon Christology, two very, very different things. Mm, so true. It's like, when you think of the Mormon Jesus, I often think about that statue that they have in Temple Square of um, the Christ. It's like this white statue of Jesus, and in the background is painted these different worlds. And I just think about when I visited there, how 
how empty and shallow and deceptive that image of Christ is because it's it's a, it's a false Christ. Yep. It's 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 not the real Jesus. What they're believing in. They 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 claim the name Jesus and they say we have Jesus in our church. How can you say we don't believe in Jesus? Jesus is literally in the name of our church. Right? Uh, church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yet they've taken the doctrine of Christ and they have so abused and manipulated it that it's completely unrecognizable, right? So they'll, they'll take things that we would find in scripture about Jesus, you know, being the son of God, being born of the Virgin Mary and, you know, being, being a perfect man who lived in, in obedience and right relationship with God, you know, died a death on the cross, you know, you know, these essential aspects of the gospel and they so manipulate it and twist it and, and to a point where you don't have Jesus anymore and you don't have a Jesus that can save you. So that is our, our prayer for our, our Mormon friends is if any Mormons are listening to this, know that we're not attacking you. We're saying all these things in love. You know, it's so important to us that you would come to know who Jesus is, who Jesus really is. And, and so that you can have peace with God, peace with God. You can't have peace with God if you are trusting in the Mormon Jesus. The, the Mormon Jesus doesn't offer you forgiveness. He, he, may, he may hand forgiveness, you know, on a, on a platter and say, hey, if, if you have done all you can do, then you can receive this forgiveness after you've done all you can do. But it's just, it's just hang, it's just, it's an empty promise because there's nothing that you can do to earn forgiveness. You have to simply receive it with empty-handed faith in who Christ really is. Amen. I can't think of a better way to end off this podcast with that. Yeah, so that's our prayer for, for all of y'all. Thank you guys so much for listening. You know, it's obviously not exhaustive. There's so many things that we could talk about. But we wanted to just give a primer on what biblical Christology is, what it means that Jesus was born in flesh, that he became flesh. And we hope that, that this, this episode was, was helpful, that you would meditate on that truth and understand in this Christmas season as you are reflecting on the holidays. And, and there's so, much, so many distractions everywhere that you would just take time just read through the Gospels. Read through John, the beginning of John, and understand what it means that Jesus was born in this world. With that, Will, uh, do you have any closing remarks before we sign off? All I got to say is it's been fun. I'm glad we got to do this. We haven't recorded in a long time. It seems like it's been such a long time since we got together 
and we're able to record this podcast. Um, Hopefully we'll be able to be more consistent with it. We do apologize to those who maybe have been waiting for us to come up, come out with another podcast. All probably three of you, (laughs) but we do appreciate it. If you've made it this far, you're a trooper and we will see you next time. God bless. Happy holidays. No, not happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. (laughs) 